Sailing into History by Paul Robert. A journey aboard a replica sailing ship offers a glimpse into life during a crucial moment in the 18th century. The command comes from deep within the sailor's chest. Heave! It rises towards the sails of the Hermione, a replica of an 18th century French Navy frigate that now lies off the coast of Normandy. On this May morning in 2019, eight crew, the top men, climb the shrouds of the foremast. Their silhouettes move like giant spiders against the rising sun as they spread out along the yard to undo the ropes. As they release the handmade linen sail, the crew on deck pull on other ropes. Heave, yells the foreman. Ho, answers the team on the rope again and again. The procedure is repeated on the mainmast and the mizzenmast until the Hermione rides the waves in all its glory. The original Hermione's claim to fame was to carry the 22-year-old Marquis and General Gilbert de Lafayette from Roquefort, France, to Boston in 1780 on a top-secret mission to deliver military support from Louis XVI to George Washington, commander of the insurgents in the American Revolution. Construction of the replica began in 1997, initiated by the International Centre of the Sea, the museum that encompasses Roquefort's 17th-century naval dockyards. Using traditional construction techniques, the project took 15 years. The new Hermione set sail for the first time in 2012 with a crew of professional sailors and volunteers. As a self-financing operation, the Hermione takes part in naval events and makes appearances at ports where it allows paying visitors on board. Although individual guests are invited to sail along occasionally, the ship is not allowed to take on paying passengers. On average, 80 crew, about a quarter of whom are professionals, staff the modern Hermione, working in shifts. The volunteers are all regulars, who sail for at least two weeks on this travelling exposition, which falls in at cities along the French coast. I came aboard as a guest at Dieppe for the journey to Oosterham, barely 40 kilometres down the coast as a bird flies. But at the mercy of the winds, we'll be forced to sail across the English Channel and back to reach our destination. The journey will take more than 24 hours. I look forward to a taste of 18th century travel. The original Hermione was a fast and intrepid fighting ship. It really was the best of what 18th century technology had to offer, says Captain Jan Carriou, 58 a former career officer in the French Navy and captain of another famous tall ship, the Bellum, Carriou has led the crew of the Hermione since its first journey in 2012. Before that, he was a volunteer during the planning phase of the reconstruction. When the original Hermione was built, every shipbuilder had his own secrets and specialties. A frigate from Brest would be different from one from Roquefort, says Carriou. Louis XVI ordered his best mathematician and scientists to develop the best possible sailing ship. That is why this ship was so fast. And it was deadly. The Hermione had its 32 regular guns, and for this trip, the crew posted two more guns on the forecastle, Carriou explains. Those in the muskets in the gun racks on the replica have the look and weight of the real thing, but they can no longer sow death. While there are concessions to the 21st century below decks, a modern kitchen, toilets and laundry, 
On deck, the experience is as authentic as possible. One exception, about a third of the crew are female. There are 30 kilometres of rope, hundreds of pulleys and 800 points where ropes are attached. The crew needs to know them all by their 18th century names. With 80 people on board, the 1,200-tonne frigate, which is 44 metres long and 11 metres at its widest point, looks crowded to me. In 1780, there were at least 200 sailors, plus a baker, a butcher, cooks, carpenters and soldiers, not to mention chickens and sheep. When Lafayette crossed the Atlantic, there were no less than 330 people on board. I can barely imagine the smell on the lower decks, where hundreds of men took turns sleeping in hammocks. When I boarded the previous night, it hardly took me two seconds to understand what 18th century travel meant. Mind your head, said my hostess, Tiffaine Gautier, 32, as she led the way down a wooden stairway to the lower deck. At 1.93 metres tall, I needed to fold myself nigh in half to pass through the door of my cabin, which was barely 150 centimetres high. Inside were four bunk beds, two on each side, with barely half a metre of space between them. When it was time to sleep, I bent over and rolled myself sideways onto my sleeping bag, fully dressed. I managed two hours of sleep that night. I hope this wasn't where Lafayette slept for the 38 nights of his crossing to the new American Republic. In fact, the captain gave up his own bed, says Carriou, when I meet him in the comfortable captain's cabin. The young general outranked the commander of the Hermione, Louis-René de la Touche, who had received orders to provide a closed and decent dwelling for Lafayette. As soon as Gilbert de Lafayette came aboard on March 10, 1780, at the small harbour of Port de Barque, close to Roquefort and about 50 kilometres north of Bordeaux, the frigate, loaded with enough food to last six months, set sail. Once they were at sea, the commander was allowed to open the king's orders about the route to be taken. Listening to the cries of heave, ho, on deck, I think about why a 22-year-old man, an aristocrat himself, risked his life to cross the ocean on a mission to combat the British king. Lafayette wasn't two years old when his father was killed by British soldiers, and he joined the French king's musketeers when he was 13. But when introduced to the royal court at Versailles after his marriage to Adrienne de Noailles, daughter of one of the most powerful families in France, he rejected what he saw. I live with contempt for the greatness and pettiness of the court, he wrote in his memoirs. Instead, he discovered the philosophers Rousseau and Voltaire and read Father Reynal's scathing attack against despotism and colonialism, which was banned by the government. He attended Masonic gatherings in Paris, where the most subversive ideas were discussed and was dazzled by the American Rebels' Declaration of Independence of 1776, which states that all men are created equal, and that the power of rulers comes from the consent of the governed. In 1777, despite the opposition of his family and the king, Lafayette financed his first trip to support the American insurgents, who made him a major general in the American Revolutionary Army. He returned to France two years later as a hero. He was 21. Despite his disobedience, Lafayette paid for it with an eight-day prison sentence which he served at home. 
He was now considered to be the best link between France and the young American Republic. The wind begins to pick up in the afternoon. The captain, who monitors conditions on instruments hidden inside a wooden casing behind the wheel, orders a complicated manoeuvre to take down some of the sails and turn the ship back towards France. As the wind increases further, the Hermione starts to dance energetically across the waves. In the mess room, I try to move with the rhythm of the waves, but I nearly shower one crew member with hot tea. We have crossed the channel's busy sea lane and the English coast is barely visible on the horizon behind us. I would love to sail once with one of those crews from the 18th century, Captain Carrieux confides to me. Those men had muscles and they were more than twice as numerous. That is what we lack on board with the volunteers. Many of them are students. They are not strong enough, so I can never take this fast frigate to the limits of its abilities. For a moment, as our boat sails towards the French coast, I think of what these men of 1780 must have felt, the fear of not returning home and dying on the other side of the world. On board was a surgeon, as well as a reverend for when the time came to hand one's soul to God. After six weeks, the Hermione reached the American coast on April 27, 1780. Lafayette immediately joined George Washington and entered the battlefield. In accordance with the king's orders, the Hermione remained to fight. On June 7, off Long Island, New York, they encountered the HMS Iris, a 32-cannon British ship. Battle stations, commanded de la Touche. Men raised gunpowder and cannonballs from the hold, while others stretched vertical nets to avoid wooden splinters when the ship was hit by gunfire. In the kitchen, the fires were extinguished. The surgeon prepared his instruments. Both ships survived the hour-long fight. I fired 260 cannon shots, de la Touche proudly wrote afterwards. But the Hermione's mainsail alone was hit by 30 cannonballs, and the main mast was damaged. 37 sailors were wounded and 10 died. We are near our destination, the port of Oosterham, early in the morning of May 14. The wind has died down. Small boats have come out to welcome us. As the sails are folded, a pilot comes on board to lead us into the harbour, where a large crowd has gathered to witness the arrival of this historical ship. The crew dresses up in period rags and Captain Carrieux appears in a splendid red uniform with matching tricorn hat. This show, which includes cannon demonstrations, is what the town pays for. A couple of hours later, I am on the dock. I turn back to look upon the fabulous silhouette of the Hermione. The original returned to France after taking part with Lafayette in the 1781 victory of the American revolutionaries at the Battle of Yorktown in Virginia. Today, even moored at the dock and sails folded away, the replica ship reminds me of the winds of liberty that sped the original Hermione across the Atlantic, earning it its nickname, the Frigate of Freedom. For more RD Talks, visit readersdigest.com.au. Brought to you by Reader's Digest Australia. Narration by Zoe Mernier. Sound production by Ricky Price. Thank you.